thought we could watch it twice. That'd be fun, huh? Hey, that was our Halloween festival last weekend. That sure was a great time. I had a great time there with my kids, too. And thank you all for whatever role that you played in that. Some of you were there making it fun, and some of you volunteered. And for your financial gifts that make ministries possible, that help serve children and families and reach folks in our community, thanks for that. Hey, I just want to begin by welcoming also people who are joining us by video right now. If you're not in this room like everybody else is, we're glad that you're here and we have an opportunity to learn and grow together. We, uh, I want to invite the ushers to come forward right now. We learn from the Bible together every week. If you have a Bible with you, now's a great time to take out your phone or tablet if you've got a Bible app on there or open up your Bibles. If you want to borrow one from one of our ushers, they'll bring that forward and you can put it in the shelf in the back of the room at the end of the service today. Together as a church family... We've been on a journey together this fall season, even as fall is starting to turn into winter, isn't it? We've been on a journey together. We're reading the biography of Jesus according to Luke, right? It's a story of Jesus' life according to Luke. We're reading it because we're a Christian church. We are followers. We're disciples of Jesus, and we need to know his life pretty well. We need to know when Jesus says, follow me, what's the kind of life that we're being invited into and empowered by God's Spirit to live in? In fact, a couple of weeks ago, we, we pressed pause at one moment in that journey. We pressed pause over a topic where we said, we need a little bit more time to unpack that. Let's try to understand what that means and how that applies to our lives. And that topic is what many people now call spirituality or the spiritual life, what the Bible calls the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God. And we're asking ourselves for a few weeks, what is that? Who is that? How does this spirit work in our lives? What does it mean for us to live lives that are spiritual. So we've been talking about that for a few weeks. And what we're doing today in this series, this might be the most practical week of the whole series. This is a week where we're asking, as we started with, what's the work of the Spirit in us? How does the Spirit change our hearts? What does it feel like to be spiritual? Am I, do I sense a connection to something greater than myself? This is the week that asks, not just what does the Spirit do inside of me, but what does the Spirit do on the outside of me? What impact does spirituality have on my community? What impact does being spiritual have on the decisions that I actually make every day, on the relationships that I form, on the priorities that I pursue, the life that I order for myself? What does it mean for that if I'm a spiritual person? That's what we're going to talk about today. And I want to maybe enter into that by starting with a contrast to another way that we sometimes order our lives and decide how to make our day-to-day decisions, and that is by rules or by laws, right? Okay, now I've come to learn over the years, I've learned something about you. I've learned that different people have different kinds of relationships with rules. You know what I'm saying? Here, in case you're not sure which kind of person you are, I've got a one-question self-test for your entertainment this morning, okay? I'm going to put up a picture on the screen, and you think, how do I react to that? Can I put that sign up there? Okay, how do you react to that screen, that, that picture right there? Some of you, I know how you're reacting. Some of you are like, oh, how nice. It makes my heart go pitter-pat. I'm so grateful that somebody told me where I should and should not walk, or else I might have tread upon that pristine green space. But now I know that there must be a well-designed sidewalk that goes around this beautiful quadrant of green, and upon my traveling, I will join journeys with other good-hearted travelers while we reach our destination obediently and joyfully together. Right? Is that, I'm exaggerating a little, right? Okay. But if you thought something like that, congratulations, you are a rule follower, right? Great. Now, now I know what to do, and I will put that into practice. Others of you saw that sign and you also went, yes, perfect, now I know where to go, right? 
I had no idea how good that grass was going to feel between my toes until I started going. I didn't even know that the shortest distance between where I am and where I'm going is across that grass, or else they wouldn't have put a sign there. So here I go, right? All right. Now, if you are that sort of person, I couldn't come up with a good name for you. Some would say not a rule follower, okay? <laughs> if you are not a rule follower, sometimes you feel bad in church, don't you, okay? So just to help you a little bit, to say there's hope for all of us, this is something, this is a line I'm going to share with you, written by a person who helped write half of the New Testament, okay? His name was Paul, and this is what he wrote about himself. Can I have this line up here on the screen? I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. I wouldn't even known what it was to cross the grass if the sign had not said, you shall not walk on this grass. Don't keep off the grass, right? So if you're not a rule follower, you're in the Bible and not in a bad way, okay? <laughs> so we have different kinds of relationships with rules. And I want to acknowledge at the outset, first of all, that rules have a good place. Rules can be really helpful. If you are a rule follower, you already know this, right? Let me just give a couple of examples. We've got his kids with us in worship today, a lot of kids here today. Those of you who go to school, you're in classrooms most of your day, I bet there's a rule in your classroom that's really helpful. What are you supposed to do in your classroom, kids? What are you supposed to do before you talk, ask a question, share a comment? What you, you did it, didn't you, right there? Yeah, what are you supposed to do? You raise your hand, right? And what if people didn't raise their hands? Everybody talk at the same time. Your teacher couldn't hear anybody. You couldn't hear each other. You would never get to talk if everybody else in class talked without raising their hands, right? Rules have a good place. They really do help us. Let me give an example for the, those of us who are a little bit older, teenagers and adults. Does everybody know what this is for? We all agree on what this sign means, right? There's a rule. That thing on the left, that red light, aren't you glad that almost everybody, 99.9% .9 of people, all know what that means and obey that rule, right? You got here alive this morning because most people know what that rule means, right? And the one on the, la the, one on the right, the, the yellow light, everyone knows what that means too, right? Punch it. I mean, <laughs> step on the gas. No, I'm just kidding. Those of you who are young and you're going to be drivers, you're new drivers, I did not say that, okay? We're going to edit the video later. It means slow down, be cautious, the red light is coming, right? Okay, rules have a good place in our lives. But rules also have their limitations. Rules have weaknesses, right? One of the downsides of rules, of obeying laws, is the, is the temptation to fall into legalism. Right? Do you know what legalism is? Legalism is when we really love rules. We love laws. We, we love rules so much. We get so obsessed with the rules. We love enforcing them. We love enforcing rules on other people. We love the rules more than we love the people the rules are supposed to benefit, right? That's legalism. Jesus had a conflict with a group of people called the Pharisees. They're so famous for their legalism, which is a little bit unfair, not totally, but a little bit. They're so famous for their legalism that their name became synonymous with legalism. You can call somebody Pharisaicalism, Pharisaical or their Phariseeism or something, legalism. It's funny, I think, but not actually funny, <laughs> that Christians have sometimes developed a reputation for legalism or Phariseeism when our leader was actually in conflict with them. That's a good challenge for us. Sometimes legalism can be the downside of rules. The other problem that I've noticed is that rules are pretty limited in what they can actually do in your life, right? They're good as far as they go, but they don't really go that far. I'll just give you one example. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would like to have a relationship with another person that you care about that was driven entirely by rules, right? I mean, it's good to have some rules and boundaries. That's healthy. But wouldn't it be better if what the relationship was driven by was love, 
or genuine concern for somebody else, heartfelt affection, genuine friendship. I mean, the rules can be there to keep some safety in place, but man, you can't have a relationship based on those, right? They're good as far as they go. They just don't go that far. And finally, among Christians, in the very first generation of Christians, in the history of the Christian church, very early, the followers of Jesus figured out that they couldn't actually live by the Old Testament law anymore. The the law that had guided the lives and decisions of God's people for a long, long time wasn't going to work for them anymore because the effect of that law, that law was designed to separate people based on their race and their ethnicity, to divide Jews from Gentiles. But that is a non-starter among a community of people who realized that Jesus, by his death, had torn down the dividing wall of hostility between nations, between Jews and Gentiles and people of different ethnicities. And now they were supposed to be a part of a community of every tribe and tongue and race and nation. That wasn't going to do it anymore. They were going to be set free from that law. But that leaves some questions open, doesn't it? If, if you're wondering to yourself, well, what are they going to do now? How are they going to know right and wrong? How are they going to have clear expectations? What are they, how are they going to know how to treat each other and what the, what the right behaviors are? If there's no more law, if we're free from the law, wait a minute, does that mean we're free to do anything we want? And that's the question that they started to ask. Is that what we're supposed to do now? Well, if you're asking that, that's what they were asking. And I want to share with you one example, one passage in the Bible that addresses that. The, The biblical Christian answer to that question has everything to do with the Holy Spirit. And I want to take a look at that with you this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, this is the right time to open it up. We're going to open to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. It's on page 1709 of your Quest Bibles, Galatians 5, 13. While you're turning the page or scrolling the screen, let me set the context for you. I think it's important to always read passages in their context. So what we're going to read is a little section out of a letter that was written by a guy named Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul, and he was the same guy who wrote that other thing that we read on the screen about not knowing what sin was until I saw the keep off the grass sign, him. He wrote this letter, okay? And we call it Galatians because it was a letter that he wrote to a a house church, a small community of Christians in an area called Galatia that's now in modern-day Turkey. And these people were struggling with this problem in particular because this church in Galatia was made up of both Jews and Gentiles, people of different races, and they were trying to figure out how to live together. And that they were free from this law that divided them was a truth they had to learn how to apply in their lives and figure out how now shall we live, right? And Paul writes to help them with that. So I'm going to give you a couple of excerpts from this teaching. Galatians 5.13, just one verse is the beginning of this. Paul wrote to them, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You're free from the law, but don't use your freedom. It's all about how we use our freedom. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Pause for a second. Good start, right? I mean, that's a great place to start. If we had lost a lot of the rest of this passage somehow, we would still have a lot. Those of you who maybe are middle school, high school students, college students, if you write for a living, this is the thesis statement, okay? And then the rest of the passage explains, asks questions, gives examples, carries it out a little bit. And that's what we're going to jump ahead and see now. And in fact, for the sake of time, I'm going to skip over a part. I'm going to skip over a few verses that reveal the Christian belief that we are not alone in the universe, right? That there are, that there are powers, that there are forces at work in the world some forces, some power that wants to destroy our lives, that drag us down, that lead us into temptation and sin and broken relationships and hurt and harm to other people and ourselves. 
And there is another power in the world that we call the Spirit of God, by which God operates to make our lives what he meant them to be in the first place and to draw us up into life in the way of Christ. I'm going to skip over the part that talks about the effect of the power that drags us down. It's important. We can talk about it another day. Today, I want to focus kind of on the end of this little passage on how it is that God's Spirit works in our lives and what the effect of the Spirit is. So in Galatians 5.22, Paul wrote to the Galatians this. The fruit of the Spirit, the effect, the visible outward effect of the Spirit, the product of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, forbearance. Another word for that is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So you're free from the law, but did you need a law to tell you that love was a good thing? Did you need a law to tell you that patience and gentleness and kindness is how you were supposed to live? There's no law against that. What we need is the Spirit to generate and lead this life in us. Okay, pause for a second. At this moment, as a teacher, I am feeling great sympathy for you. <laughs> I feel sympathy for you because last week, I, I like to try to make things as clear and simple as possible so we all know what to do with it, understand it as well as we can, and act on it. But last week, I stood up here and I told you that it was the work of the Holy Spirit to form us in Christ, to form Christ-likeness in our character and in our lives, to change our hearts and to empower us to be imitators of Jesus. And now this week, I'm standing in front of you and telling you that actually the work of the Spirit is to grow in you this list of things, love, joy, peace, patience, and, and so on. And I, I feel for you because I think some of you are probably starting to go, how many different things am I supposed to keep track of that the Holy Spirit is doing in me? How many boxes do I check off to know that's the Spirit, that's the Spirit, that's not the Spirit? Right? Try thinking of it this way. That this list is like a shorthand description for the character of Jesus that's being formed in us, right? And we need both, the shorthand and the actual stories of Jesus' life. We need the actual stories of Jesus' life, and that's why we're reading, that's why we're taking this journey according to Luke. We need those stories to put some details in the picture, to tell us what the life of Jesus was actually like, to give us examples of his character, to tell us who he is and what he's done for us and examples to follow. But then it's also helpful to have the, the shorthand, right, to be able to keep track of it. Without the stories, we could make the shorthand mean anything we want. I mean, couldn't you make love be anything you wanted? Couldn't you make, like, patience or kindness or gentleness sound like almost anything at all, right? You could fill that up. We have the life of Jesus to give us some specific examples, and then we have the shorthand to help us carry it around, like a handle on a suitcase. Let me give you some examples, okay? We're going to get practical here with how the fruit of the Spirit leads us in Christlikeness. And to help us understand the fruit of the Spirit, I, bought, I brought... A fruit basket along with me, huh? And the very first fruit of the Spirit that I want to talk to you about is pear. A pear. Do any of you, you guys like pears? Who likes pears? Raise your hand. You like pears? I really like pears. Pears, when pears are good, they can be one of the best fruits. I'm going to just have a little bit of pear. Ooh, that's a good one. Have a little bit of pear right there. I like pears. They're so sweet and juicy. The thing about pears is you got to be gentle with pears, don't you? I mean, you can't be too rough with a pear. If I were to like drop this pear right here on the ground, it'd probably smash pretty, pretty hard, wouldn't it? I could bruise a pear, it wouldn't be very good. You gotta be gentle with pears. What does gentleness look like in the life of Jesus? I'm reminded of this story that Jesus told about a time he was visiting with two of his friends. He visited the home of these two sisters. Their names were Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha were among the followers of Jesus, important, influential, early disciples of Jesus. And while Jesus was in their home, he began to teach. And these followers of Jesus, his apprentices, his disciples, if you will, his disciples were gathered around him, 
And they did what disciples of a teacher, a rabbi, a master, they did what disciples of the, of the master would do when the master began speaking. They sat down around him and listened to him. And so here we have the Son of God teaching people cosmic truths about what God is like and how best to live the human life. And Mary sat among them, and Martha had more important things to do. <laughs> Martha did have some important things to do. She was in the kitchen, and she was preparing some kinds of hospitality for all these people who were gathered in her house and cooking food and cleaning, and those are important things to do. But here was God in the flesh teaching them the ultimate truths about life in the universe, and Martha wanted Jesus to tell Mary that she should go help her in the kitchen instead. Right? And Jesus said to Martha, Martha, Martha. <laughs> I, I kind of wish I had an audio recording. I'd love to hear the tone of voice. I don't, I don't know. But he calls her by name. He says, Martha, Martha, few things are needful. Indeed, only one. And Mary has chosen the better part. And that was his answer to her. I think that's gentleness in the way of Jesus. He had to correct Martha. He couldn't let Martha go on thinking there were more important things to do than attending to him, right? To listen to him to grow in relationship to him, to know how to be his follower in this world was the most important thing, to sit at his feet and listen to him. He had to correct her on that. But he, but he did it, I think, with kindness. He did it in such a way that his truth would land in her heart. I think sometimes in our world, in our culture, in the upper Midwest maybe, we think that gentleness means never speaking the truth to anybody, right? We, we won't address anything hard. We're not going to tell the truth. And then if we ever finally get over that, we just drop truth bombs on people, boom, and blow their lives up, and it's not our responsibility how it, how it lands, right? Jesus has this other way that I think is for us the example of what Christian gentleness is. There's honesty, there's firmness even. He wasn't going to back off and say, no, you're right, that's actually more important than listening to me, right? It's honesty, firmness, but kindness. The, the picture I get in my head of this, and this, I don't know if this says anything about me or not, but I picture a pilot bringing a plane in for a landing. He's got to deliver this teaching, this cargo. He's got to land it, but he's got to land it in such a way that it doesn't burst into a ball of flames when it lands, right? I, I want to ask you a question. Has anybody ever treated you this way? Has anybody ever borne the fruit of gentleness in your life? Where there, there was a truth that needed to be spoken, and it, and it needed to be spoken, and so they spoke it. But they did it with kindness. They did it with concern for you, for your heart, for your spirit, for your relationship going forward from there. Has anybody ever practiced that kind of honest Christian gentleness with you? I can think of people who've done that for me, and I'm so grateful that they didn't just pound me, didn't make me feel bad about it, didn't make me feel worthless, that I was hopeless, that I would never get it. There was a truth they needed to speak to me. Somebody had to do it. But they brought it to me with gentleness. If anybody's ever done that for you, and it can be kind of a rare gift, if anybody's ever given you that gift, I just want you to reflect right now on that experience. What was that, what was that like in your heart? How did that feel when they did that for you? There may be something you can learn from their example. There may be a situation you're in in your life where the Spirit wants to grow that fruit of gentleness in you right now, and their example could help you. All right, let me give you another one. The next fruit of the Spirit that I want to tell you about is the fruit of the kiwi. I got a kiwi right here. Do you like kiwi too? You like, raise your hand if you like kiwi. I like kiwi. They're packed with vitamin C or so I hear, right? And they got this bright green flesh on the inside and they're juicy. 
You know what I found out in recent years in my life? Not at, there are people who think you're not supposed to eat the outside of the kiwi. Can you believe that? You just think you're not supposed to just mm, go right into a kiwi like that? Mm. Well, I'm going to need a minute right now. It's, it's a little hard, kind of chewy. It's a little furry, actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is not something that I normally like to say about my fruit, but it's a little bit. The fruit of the, the, fruit of the kiwi is the fruit of faithfulness. And sometimes you got to be faithful through the hard part on your way to what you're trying to get to, right? A little perseverance, a little faithfulness. What does faithfulness look like in the life of Jesus? I'm reminded of this time near the end of Jesus' life on this earth when he knew that the hour of his greatest trial was coming near. And Jesus in one place even prayed. He prayed to God the Father, is there, is there some other way? <laughs> Could, could this way be taken from me and we could do this another way? He knew what this was going to be like. But there's this passage in the Gospel of John where Jesus wonders aloud, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this hour that I have come. And Jesus was faithful to God's calling in his life to love people sacrificially no matter what it would cost him. It was Jesus calling in life to forgive sinners, to heal the sick, to welcome the outcast, to bring the very presence of God to people whose lives were far from God, and to invite them into his community to say, sit down with me and have dinner at the table of the community of God in the family of God. Come on in. And in Jesus' faithfulness to God the Father, to bring the presence of God to people who are far from God, to exercise forgiveness, to practice love, to build reconciliation, to heal the sick and bind up the brokenhearted and free the captives. In his faithfulness to God to carry out that mission of love for others, he ran into some people who didn't think that was a very good idea. The powerful leaders of the people of his day, the other religious leaders of his people, didn't think those people were worthy of being brought in. They thought Jesus was a dangerous teacher. He was misrepresenting God. He was doing what should not be done. And those people had the ability to make his life very uncomfortable. In fact, in the end, to hand him over to people who would kill him. And the stories of Jesus' life tell us that Jesus was not blind to that risk. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he was faithful to that calling and that love for other people anyway. He did that. He was faithful to that calling out of love for you, out of love for me, out of love for humanity gone astray, out of love for all of us who have wandered from God and lived our lives far from God. He came to bring us back. That's his faithful love. I want you to know that that love is for you. And I, I want to ask you what the Holy Spirit might be saying in your heart about bearing the fruit of faithfulness, faithful love for others, even at a sacrifice to yourself. Is there some situation in your life right now where God is calling you to go ahead and chew right on through the kiwi skin to get to the place that he's called you to go, the place where your heart knows that you want to go because that's where God wants you to go? Is there a relationship that you're in? Is there a a place where you're being called by God to pour out love for others at risk or cost to yourself? And the work of the Spirit in you in this season of your life will be to grow the fruit of faithfulness to go to the place where God is calling you to go. You want to make a note of that or pray about that situation and walk out faithfulness in your life. Okay, one more. One more fruit of the Spirit today. And that is the fruit of the asparagus. Fruit asparagus, right? 
All morning, people have been telling me, this is not a fruit, actually. It's a vegetable. But are you, do you guys believe that a tomato is a fruit? You believe that? And yet you will tell me that an asparagus is not a fruit. Where is your integrity? Where do you... How do you look yourself in the mirror, huh? Okay, all right, so it's not a fruit, I understand. And if I could have bought cherries at the grocery store, I would have brought you cherries, but they didn't have them, so I got you an asparagus. You know what I wanted to bring you cherries? I wanted to bring you cherries because I read this just recently, that when you plant a cherry tree, when you cultivate a cherry tree, it could take three to five years if you plant a sour cherry tree before you'll have the fruit of sour cherries, three to five years. But if you plant a sweet cherry tree, it could take you four to seven years to get sweet cherries. Sometimes you gotta be more patient for the sweetness than for the sour. Huh? I learned that this week, and I thought to myself, self, that'll preach. Tell the people that. <laughs> and then I went to the grocery store, and they had asparagus. So I brought you asparagus. Huh? Because I also learned years ago that asparagus is another one where you can't expect to get what you want to get the first season that you plant. You've got to be patient and wait for it. So what does patience look like in the life of Jesus? I'm reminded of the story that Jesus told. Jesus told a story once about a tree that wasn't bearing any fruit. <laughs> And there was somebody who thought, let's just cut that tree down. The guy who owned the land and owned the tree, this dumb, fruitless tree, let's just cut it down and get rid of it. But there was this gardener. There was a gardener who had already cared for this tree, invested considerable resource and effort into this tree, and he didn't want to just cut down this tree. He loved that tree. And he said, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Give me another year. Let, let me tend the soil. Let me, let, me, let me dig up the soil. Let me fertilize it. Let me take care of this tree. Let me cultivate this tree. Give me another year to see if I can get fruit out of this tree. And I think, in context, that Jesus told that story to interpret himself, to explain himself to the crowds around. He needed to explain to them, why was he being so patient with sinners? Why was he giving fruitless people more time to bear fruit? And he described his kindness, his love, and his patience with us. There's a verse in the Bible that says that God's kindness, or I think his patience would fit here too, is designed to lead us to repentance to give us a little bit more time. Man, God has been patient with me in seasons of bitter fruit. God has been patient with me in seasons of fruitlessness. And I know, I know that God has been patient with you in times of bitter fruit and seasons of fruitlessness. I want to ask you to think about somebody in whom you've seen that fruit of patience growing and being born. If I ask you to think about the most patient person, and patience doesn't mean not caring how things turn out, right? That, that's, just, that's just not caring. That's just apathy. Patience is like the story Jesus told. I really do need fruit from this tree. There actually is something that needs to happen here, and I want it to happen, but I'm willing to patiently work for it. Do you, can you think of somebody who's been really patient in your life? You got a name coming to mind right now? I'm going to ask you to take a risk. In just a second, you're going to turn to somebody by you and tell them, don't, you don't have to reveal any dark secrets. You don't have to confess anything scary. Just tell them the name of somebody whose patience you admire, okay? And I'm a really patient person, so you've got 20 seconds. Go! All right, that was great. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> you know who's really patient? I told you already. The Spirit is patient. The Holy Spirit has been patient with you and me through our seasons of fruitlessness, through our seasons of bad fruit. The Holy Spirit has been patient with us. 
You see, Christians, we believe that the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's not the fruit of you, it's not the fruit of me, it's the fruit of the Spirit. I have never in my whole life known somebody who has been able to bear the fruit of genuine love by squeezing the tree a little bit harder and getting love to come out. I've never known anybody who cracked the whip and made somebody patient. I've never known anyone who could command gentleness to come forth from somebody, right? It's the work of the Spirit cultivating this fruit in our lives. And here in this congregation, one of our core values says we believe that deep roots make good fruit, that it's in a deeply deeply rooted relationship with God, with the Spirit of God in our lives, that fruit is born in our lives that it's in participation weekly in worship together. We sing praises to God and we pray and we reflect on God's word and we share communion together that roots are grown in our hearts that bear fruit. That it's in the authentic practice of Christian community in our growth groups and our friendships together with other believers and in relationship with God's world that, root, that roots are grown in the spirit of God. It's in, it's in reading his word, it's in reading the Bible, it's in cultivating our prayer life, it's in tending to our growing relationship with the living Jesus among us that the Holy Spirit grows fruit in our lives. And then this passage that we read today, it invites us to walk this out, to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit, it says. So I'm going to close just by giving you this closing challenge, this closing question, this closing thought. What has the Holy Spirit been prompting in your heart today? As we've talked about the fruit of the Spirit, about three of them here, and we read the whole list, what's the Holy Spirit been saying to your heart today? And what the Spirit has said to your heart today, walk that out this week. Keep in step with the Spirit. I think that's your next step with Jesus. Let's pray together. Good and gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your patience with us. And we pray that you would work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Pour out your Spirit in us and pour out your Spirit among us. Put a new Spirit within us. Put a new heart within us. Make us new. And we pray by the power of your Spirit, grow your fruit of a Christ-like life in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, before you go, I want to share